Stand-up comic joke it up one time. Funny. We're tired of it. <laughs> oh, I'm so tired. Funny. <laughs> Come on, let's talk about sets. I don't know. Let's talk about sets. By comedians here in New York, all about the craft and, dare I say it, the science of stand-up comedy. I'm Jeff McBride, and I built, maintain, and drive this motorcycle. And my co-host here, Harrison, he looks adorable in the sidecar. (laughs) I'm a sidecar puppy dog. Uh, Also, yeah, that's right. His tongue lolls out through the entire episode. (laughs) Also, the motorcycle is fueled by his life force, so he's 100% necessary. (laughs) Our guest today is John Newman. You can say hi. Hello. (laughs) I don't know if this is my time yet. It's always your time, buddy. And our theme is challenging premises. For those who don't know, a premise is, in joke land, a concise original observation that serves as the basis for comedic material. And we're going to explore how premises are handled when they aren't easy. So let's get started with an excerpt from a set by Gerard Carmichael called Talent Versus Morals from his 2014 comedy store special, Love at the Store. I saw the remake of RoboCop. You saw it? Piece of shit. Horrible movie. Real piece of shit. That movie was so bad that halfway through it, I forgave Woody Allen. That's how bad that movie was. And it was that moment that I had the epiphany, very important epiphany, that talent is more important than morals. There should be a chalkboard here, so I could write it. Talent's more important than morals. You know why? Because, Because talent is limited. You know, and, and it's a precious resource. And Woody Allen makes uh, these great movies that are romantic comedies that are smart and sophisticated, and even men can enjoy them. And it's invaluable. You know how much, you know how much Woody Allen is worth to the film industry? Apparently, one daughter. He's worth one daughter. Oh my god. Maybe two. You know. Talents more like Michael Jackson's victims still listen to Michael Jackson, and, <laughs> and they should, and they should because they've been through a lot, and they need something beautiful and inspiring and uplifting. You know, like his music. <laughs> oh my God! His victims need his music more than any of us. <laughs> Talents more important than morals is what I'm saying. Like, when did you guys forgive Chris Brown exactly? For me, I was in a Footlocker. And, uh, and it was right after he hit Rihanna and we're all pretending to be mad at him like we do. And uh, the song that he made called Excuse Me Miss came on. And it was such a beautiful song. I was like, oh, yeah, we all make mistakes. <laughs> R. Kelly. <laughs> That's my favorite thing is just hearing a black girl go, mm-mm. <laughs> That's literally my favorite thing that's happened tonight. Mm-mm. 
Don't you dare. Don't you bring that. Do you listen to his music? A little bit. A little bit. You know why? His talent's more important than morals. Not because they, you know why they play it? Because he's fucking amazing. He peed on a little girl. Right? And that's horrible. That's fucking disgusting. That's the nastiest shit a person could do. Peed on a kid. And, and, uh, and, and we, were, we were mad. We were disgusted, man. Boy, were we mad. As a society, we, that was the first time I actually watched the porno with my family for research purposes. <laughs> it was for research. It was just weird watching. My brother's here. It was like, with your dad? And he's just like, yep, that's R. Kelvin. Like, it was like weird. We, 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 we all needed it to confirm it was him. And we were mad. We were fucking mad at R. Kelly. Uh, and we were like, man, fuck you, R. Kelly. We will never listen to it. What, Ignition Remix? Okay, what's up? It's <laughs> <laughs> a society. <laughs> so great. I love that joke. All right. Okay, so John, why did you pick that bit? Uh, a couple of reasons in talking about challenging premises. I love that he's, what he's, the main thing I think he's doing is calling out hypocrisy of how we let artists get away with stuff and then saying, why do we let them do that? And then puts dark jokes in there to support his his points. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that he gets into it with a misdirect. I think that's me really too. Fun. I was just thinking that the misdirect is so important. That what he's trying to do, he's trying to get into a bit like the the I love that it has a thesis that talent is more important than morals. Mm-hmm. That I love a joke with a thesis. Which, yeah. by the way, uh, one of the thing, important techniques that people have to do, I think, to uh, communicate a complex premise is repeat it. Yeah, and repeat for it, sure, and repeat it. Yeah, that's a very, uh, did you watch that talking funny HBO thing yep. from like, yeah, a, yeah and yep. like Jerry says, like the reason Chris Rock keeps repeating something throughout it is because his ideas are so rich yeah. and for people to stay with him, he needs to constantly repeat it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Go he does that here. He keeps repeating right. talent is more important than morals. Yeah. Right. So I love that he gets in it with a misdirect. So he gets a big laugh up top uh-huh. in a misdirect way of like, oh shit, we're going to be talking about something that's different than I thought what you were getting at with just a bad movie. Yeah. And then what I, the thing that he says that I love is that his uh, talking about Michael Jackson, his victims need his music more than because it's separating out. Okay. There's this thing of, we have artists who have done terrible things and then they still have great art. Why are we okay with that as a society? And he just picks it apart. And I think it's because there's something transcendent and bigger about art, but he does it in this way of saying, Hey, you're all hypocrites and we're going to laugh about this. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And it's, um, I would say there's one exception to this. One exception, and I would say it's stand-up. And the, and the reason I would say that is, and, and it depends on the kind of stand-up, but the reason I would say that is Bill Cosby. Yeah, that's interesting. Because mm-hmm. because um, the way that stand-up functions, particularly stand-up that is autobiographical in any way, you have to believe that the person saying the horrible things that are making you laugh yeah. is a decent person. My counterexample to it is, Louis C.K. If we found out that he beat his children on a regular basis, all of the jokes that we've laughed so hard about about when he complains about being a dad and how horrible his children are would not be funny. No. It would not be funny at all. It's a really good point. You have to believe that the person saying it doesn't mean it. The person saying it is a morally blah, blah, blah person if what they're doing, like all Bill Cosby's my favorite until I can't watch it. I've tried to watch it. I can't himself is one of the greatest stand-up specials I've ever seen in my entire life. 
And it only works if you believe that this beleaguered father who spends the entire time complaining about his wife and children isn't a goddamn monster. Right. Yeah. Which is so funny because, like, you look at, like, Manhattan by Woody Allen. It's essentially tell—it's like— It's like it's, pedophilia. Yeah, it's talking about pedophilia. It's his big stupid face. And yeah. it's like you're you're looking at it and you're still like, oh, I can still watch this movie. It's but like for I'm whatever dating reason, a seventeen year old. I don't. It feels weird to me. And it's like because it's really creepy. That's why it feels weird to you. But we watch Cosby and we're like, no, I can't do it because and it really is him. Like you, it's the only thing that really doesn't have that wall between yeah. audience and performer. Exactly. And you have to ultimately, people have to believe it's okay. It's it's the only art that I can think of that you. It's really hard to separate the art from the artist if it's autobiographical. And I think a big reason that is because it's the only art that does this that challenges other art forms. Uh huh. Like like in this bit, he's 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 talking about movie stars. He's talking about musicians. Mm-hmm. I think it's one. It might, I don't know if this is true, but it's the only art form where you can challenge other art forms and people like yeah. it affects how people are thinking about those other There's art no forms. There's no song, yeah. acoustic songs about stand up. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> If someone wrote like uh, like a he walks in, he's got his notebook. I'm just doing it. Oh, no, I just wanted to, you to keep yeah, going. Okay. No, I didn't. <laughs> I, 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 I don't. I can't sing and I can't rhyme. So oh, I, I, I disagree. I feel like you definitely have a Bob Dylan impersonation future ahead of you. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine if R. Kelly wrote a response song about this Gerard Carmichael bit? <laughs> <laughs> so. It's a challenging premise that talent is more important than morals. Right. Right. Why is it challenging, do you think? One, I don't really think, well, I don't, I don't know his heart, but I don't really think he believes it to begin mm-hmm. with. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's, he looked at the idea of, okay, why do we let celebrities who do terrible things, why do we let them get away with it? Yeah. It's like, as a society, it must be that, because we mm-hmm. value talent more than we yeah. value morality. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's about society. Like intrinsically, this is what we value. You know what yeah. he avoids here? He says talent is more important than morals, but he never says talent should be more important. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, never yeah. Totally. deals with that. Right. Uh, yeah. Which I think is fascinating. It's, it is purely the view from nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's, that's kind of a theme throughout a lot. I love both of his specials so much. Like mm-hmm. I think Gerard Carmichael is fearless yeah. yeah and a lot of he's polarized a lot of people don't like his stand-up i think i love his stand-up more than any other person on the planet <laughs> because what he does in my opinion is he takes the passive voice of society and makes it his own mm-hmm. so it's like mm-hmm. we're this generation of apathetic 20 year olds who don't who say we care about stuff but if you look at what our actions are actually doing we don't really yeah. and then he embodies that and says i'm in my 20s i don't care about the environment i don't care about animals yeah. I did this, this, and this. So he becomes this hated figure. But what he's saying is, this is all of us. This is intrinsically who yeah. we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so bold to do that. And then mm-hmm. to be able to make that funny and make an audience hate you, but still really like you yeah. and be crazy likable and make great points, I think is brilliant. There's something about some performers, and I think he falls in this category where he effortlessly commands space and attention. Like yeah. he could mm-hmm. stand there in silence and you could hear a pin drop. Because yeah. he's just like he has a commanding presence. I would hazard to guess that is because he is doing his favorite thing, and I don't mean stand up. What I mean is, I heard him on a Tim Ferriss podcast talking about his approach and where he came up with it. When he was in, I believe, high school, he was in a debate class, and he was assigned a horribly indefensible thing that he had to debate that side of. And he found out that he loved being the only person in the room on one side of a topic. And it's, it's his favorite feeling. 
That's so and cool. And so for him to get up there when he's doing that, the reason I think he's so commanding is because people are feeding off of the feeling that he's feeling, which is mm-hmm. I am so comfortable with this and I'm comfortable that you're not comfortable. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so people are like, well, maybe I, sh- I should feel that way. <laughs> right. It's like the Chappelle, it's like he took to heart the Chappelle quote, which is be comfortable in silence. That's a hugely mm. important thing. Dave Chappelle always repeats. Yeah. yeah. And he's just, and that's the thing that's interesting about his specials. They're not gut busting laughs per no, minute. No, and, not at all. And I have seen challenging comics do that. Like, I feel like Burr crushes for a long period of time being challenging, but Gerard does it in this smooth, like, it, it, there's no joke structure to it, really. I mean, like, there is, but it's, like, so hidden. It just sounds like he's talking to yeah, you. Yeah, he hides mm-hmm. it beautifully into, yeah. I'm just expressing some thoughts. He sounds like a guy at a bus stop who just leaned in that you don't know is like, are we going to be all right, man? Like he just sounds like so <laughs> yeah. casual about mm-hmm. and I, it, but oh God, it's so fun. to listen. So, okay. In this bit, um, he says he's, his whole, his thesis, which he then backs up is his premise is talent is more important than morals. He shows examples of that for, uh, uh one being Woody Allen. Yep. Right. Um, and, and in that he's introducing another premise, which is a sub premise, which is, uh, that we still, we are comfortable. The original observation is we're comfortable with him and his art, knowing everything we know about him right? Um, as a society. Yep. Maybe not you, but everybody else. Yeah. Uh, and so then he has to get people to accept even that, just accept that observation and laugh at the hypocrisy of it. Right. Right. And then he does, and then and then he goes through and takes it on himself, which I really appreciate. Where he's like, "I remember the moment I forgave Chris Brown." <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I was in a Footlocker. I was in yeah. a Footlocker, yeah. <laughs> and a song came on that I really liked. Yes, yeah. right. Crazy. And it's like, did he forgive Chris Brown? Maybe, maybe not. But he ultimately was also saying. None of this really affected me, but his songs affect me. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. It's that their moral life choices don't affect me. Their art does affect me. And Mm -hmm. I think we're so, we have blinders on to our own experience that it's like, we have to come to grips with, oh, we can't morally police every single artist that we enjoy their work. Yeah. You know what? I have a horrible analogy, but I think that the reason that, uh, that, Cosby's material is no longer funny. For example, if I were to relate it to something, it would be like if you found out that Renoir painted all his paintings on the skin of Jews, <laughs> like all those canvases were. Wait, were, who is Renoir? Uh, he's a famous painter. Yeah, uh-huh. but yeah, the, 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 the thing sudden, you're looking at is tainted. Yeah, all yeah. of a sudden you're like, oh, this is horrible. Yeah. underneath it, yeah. it's everything underneath this is horrible. Right. The thing I'm looking at is horrible because now I know what it's really built on. Yeah, absolutely. whereas a song can kind of stand on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you. You ascribe meaning to a song, a Chris Brown song. You put yourself in your the shoes of that yeah. song. Yeah. So it's like it's it becomes the meaning you you give yourself the own meaning. Whereas yeah. moralistic, that's not a sense. Whereas whereas moralistic autobiographical stand up, they're telling you the exactly, meaning. Exactly right. Oh, I yeah. do. That's what I was wondering. If Cosby, if we thought of him as a, his stand up as brilliant as it is, but it was silly. Uh, esoteric stuff. If it would, would be as pissed off. Yeah. So mm. if we found out that 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 Stephen Wright 
committed yeah. some heinous right. crime. Yeah. Might not be as big a deal. Yeah, because he's just he's a one-liner comic, and you don't really know who he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Right? Like, yeah, like, Dimitri Martin has never, like, done autobiographical stuff. It's, like, silly charts and right. pictures. You right. find yeah. out something about his life. You can still appreciate that chart and that picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I do right. wonder that. Like, I, I do wonder. I want. Yeah. I know. Like, so Stephen Wright, please, if you if you're listening, um, please go commit some crimes as an A/B test. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, that'd be great. That's, there aren't enough one-liners doing it. Yeah, <laughs> not enough sweet. one-liner yeah. criminals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one going back to the Gerard bit that, yep, that you yep. said that sparked my thing that I thought was interesting was the fact that in debate class he loved being on the side of like uh, like I guess in the challenging role mm-hmm. I think works so well with his stand-up oh, because yeah. it turns it into a dialogue because the audience is constantly thinking they're being challenged by his premise and then and, he addresses yes the mm-hmm. thing they're thinking right which by the way is a great way to get a laugh exactly that's what I'm saying yeah. is that like his laughs pop so big because someone in their mind might be going okay but what about this and then he addresses it yeah. and gets a laugh yeah he it. sets the room up yeah so that they will all group think a thing that is the opposite of what he's saying. Yep. Yeah. Then he calls the room and says what everybody's thinking. Yeah. It's brilliant. There mm-hmm. were a couple moments in the special where he did. I, I was trying a bit. By right the, before, ooh, wait, wait, I'm so sorry. Uh, we try, always try to define things. Calling a room is where you clearly identify something that's happening in the room that everybody is thinking about, mm-hmm. right? Is that a good way to say yeah, that? Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah. Okay, all right, so go on. Sorry. Yeah, so, uh, so when I was there at the taping, we were sitting in the balcony. He had a bit, and I had previously been working on a bit about how I hate dogs, <laughs> which is the most unrelatable thing in the world, yeah. and I really loved tackling it. Never worked, because someday I'll be good enough to do it. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you're like five years away or yeah, something. Yeah, and he <laughs> has a bit about how he doesn't care about animals, and these mm. girls up just went like, mm-mm, like did the same thing yeah, that happened yeah, in the bit. Yeah. And he goes, but why? And then he looks up at them, and then she says something, and he just continued with the bit uh-huh. but it sounded like he was responding to her because it just what she said dovetailed perfectly into the next thing uh, he was going to say yeah. so it sounded like they were having a dialogue that's like a cool little trick when you like it's like you ask a question to the audience and you have your response as a whole bit right and you know they're going to answer you with something right. and it was something that's it. that provocative yeah i wonder if there is a formula there that the more provocative it is uh, or polarizing the 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 narrower the scope of responses will be. Oh sure, I, be, I totally like he. It was clear that he knew exactly where she was going to go with it. Yeah. Right. And right. when she went there, and that he responded beautifully, and then it got such a big laugh because it sounded like he was just debating with a person. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And just to the well trained ear, it was like, oh no, he was just continuing with the bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. cool. I also really loved when he when, when he takes the mm. Oh yeah. And and he and he just says that that's his favorite thing. He rolls with it and incorporates their distaste for his challenging premise. Right. He rolls with it and goes and he's just he's like, "Thank you. I wanted you to do yeah. that." And then it's just like, "Well, shit." Yeah. <laughs> so it's like when you're in an argument with somebody and then they go, "Yeah, I was totally wrong." Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, "Well, but I had all these other things I wanted to say." Right. "Oh, no, I'm so sorry. I was totally wrong." And you're like, "Well, Okay then. <laughs> yeah. It's infuriating cuz he's he's the villain. He paints himself as a villain, but he is so charming and mm-hmm. when he smiles you're like I like you, man. I love you. And so what it's he, he can go back and forth between this beautifully. And it's yeah. it's stuff that I've tried to play with, and I'm just like, oh, I'm not charming enough to pull this off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I can't be the asshole as much as like someone with that much charisma. And you actually don't look like an asshole. I on the other hand do. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I look sure. like I look up 
quite a bit racist. Uh, <laughs> so if you did something like, like assholey, they're like, yeah, that fits. That's what I thought. I, I knew it. I knew he'd be like that. Yeah. <laughs> I have to, like, I've learned recently, I have to be really careful about that. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. So uh, I didn't have that level of self-awareness, and now I'm cripplingly self-conscious about it. <laughs> uh, I, I also loved another thing he does here where he says, oh, yeah, we all make mistakes. Just like minimizing it to such yeah, a degree. Yeah, yeah, totally. Sometimes we leave the seat up. Like it can uh, just, just it's it's such a the, uh, the that technique of here's this horrible thing. Everybody's going to be incensed for a moment, and now I'm going to react to it in this incredibly minimal way. Yeah, and it's comic because it's just the contrast of what you expect he should be doing and what he does right oh it's so good structurally it's so interesting it follows almost like uh like a ucb improv model a little bit it does like a, if this is true what else is true yeah and it goes, so it's like if we say talent is more important than morals what are some examples of that and if that's true then what else is true uh-huh. and so it's like okay we must be minimizing and minimizing it and then the part of the bit the bit he does after that is about how uh i think it's that michael jackson still got into heaven is where he goes with the bit. Oh, yeah. That. I love I it. I can actually just play the bit. Oh, we like, could do that. Yeah. Should we just paraphrase it awfully? Or should <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. Here, it, it just continues from there, right? Yeah, it Okay, does. all right. So let's continue. Let's play the second half of this bit. Cool. As a society, we said that. We don't give a fuck. We're monsters. Oh, he moralizes. Michael it. Jackson still went to heaven. <laughs> How cool is that? Because the guy can't deny talent. <laughs> I don't think it was easy. I don't think he just walks in there. I think he got to the gate and like and like St. Peter's song, and uh, and he was really excited because it's Mike. Uh, but then he realized it was going to be hard to get him in, so he was like, "Oh, Mike!" Then he was like, "Oh, fuck!" He's <laughs> like, "Mike, look. First of all, huge fan, <laughs> but we saw what you did." But wait right here, let me figure something out. And then he went to the other gate and then he talked to God. And like Mike couldn't see the conversation, but he could hear it. And St. Peter was like, Yeah, God, he's here. Uh huh. No, you'd still recognize his eyes. He has the same eyes. You have to quit it twice. No, I don't know how he did that lean either. You mean that wasn't you? I, was... <laughs> I don't know why it's just funny to me. Just guy watching a smooth criminal music video just trying to figure it out. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't think Michael Jackson touched those kids. Thank you. Me and this guy. Me and this guy. <laughs> against the world, man. Just me and you. Another applause from the back. It's a few of us. Most of you think he did it. Now, I've been giving this a lot of thought because I don't have a day job. And, uh, and, and I was thinking, if he did, if he did, that could have been one of the greatest things that ever happened to those kids, you know? So the, let me explain. So my logic is this. The logic is simple. It's at the end of the day, that's Michael goddamn Jackson. And it's almost an accomplishment in itself to be touched by, you know? Like, all I'm saying is, if I were one of those kids, I would have bragged about that shit. <laughs> like, I would have gone back to school the next day and be like, hey, what'd you guys do over the weekend? <laughs> oh, you got a new video game? 
or Mortal Kombat? Oh, that's cool. Oh, who, me? Oh, the King of Pop sucked my dick. So, it's <laughs> a fucking amazing weekend. Tell All right. That's great. That is so good. That conversation at the Prelegate. Oh, my God. That, that, I, it, I, I don't think he quite digs himself out. No. He, he, no. The, he, I don't think it's in the clip, but right after he's like, some of you are never going to get on board for that. And then he switches yeah. it up. Yeah. That's uh, the thing that people say about that special, that they're like, why would he do that? He does bits that people don't get on board with and that he just goes, all right, why would, and like he tries a rape joke halfway through and it doesn't work. He's like, why are you trying a rape joke on your special Gerard? Like he talks to himself and then he moves on. Yeah. The ethos he wanted with it was to make it seem like it was just a typical night of him trying material. That's I I heard him say that too. Yeah. Uh, Which is interesting. I like that. notepad out. Right. I mean, it's a little bit of a facade because like he clearly planned it too, but that's the vibe he was going for. Yeah. I I think uh, let's, let's talk about the first part of it. So God can't deny talent. Right. 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 And the, and the, like, as he walks through, it is very much just what you said. It's if this is true, what else is true? Right. right? And the, yeah. So the three examples, so Woody Allen, then R. Kelly and Chris Brown is kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then, so though, like that's one example, a little more extreme. And then the furthest extreme one, it's like, if this is true, what else? Then Michael Jackson got into heaven and then he does this act out. And then the bit kind of like ends there because he's, he's done as much as he can with it. Right. Right, right, and and he has he, he throws in some silly absurd some absurdism in here yeah. to help uh, with his challenging premise because mm-hmm. it needs help. Right, it needs a lot of uh-huh. help. Yeah, you recognize him because of his eyes. Like it's like oh, you're seeing that conversation. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's absurd. Yeah, and and uh, so so the absurdity he 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 tosses in there of you know. God being like trying to figure out how to get him in, how to get him in, or, or how, how how he did that in Smooth Criminal. Oh how yeah, yeah, the lean. Yes. That part is my favorite part. Yeah, by far. Yeah. By far. <laughs> I mean, it goes back to the thesis of like talent is more important. So it's like uh, such talent, even mm-hmm. God can't deny talent. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right, right. And he right. doesn't even know how it exists. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I created the universe. I did not create that m- ability to move. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so crazy. This is, I mean, so this is an example. Actually, it's a great example of a couple of things. It's an example of a challenging taboo. That he a challenging topic that is it's it's primarily I think in the taboo category. It's not because it's complex. It's because it's taboo. This one for sure. Yeah, this one, and um, it's a great example because he pulls himself out. I think pretty well, and he digs himself back in and yeah. doesn't. Right. Right. Uh, like it, it, and and I I am fascinated with um, the fearlessness with that, especially putting that on a special too. Yeah. Right. And and he why. Do you think he's able to pull himself out? Why do you think he's able to get people on board with it? What is it? What is he? What has he done there? Yeah, I don't know. It's a couple of things. I think one is, uh, like you said, he uses other devices within that. Like he uses misdirection to mm-hmm. get out of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like the the king of pop suck my dick. Like <laughs> gets a big pop, but you can also tell that people are not on board with yeah. this idea. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. they're like, oh, and they shouldn't be. Right. They shouldn't be okay with the idea that. Mm. Uh, and I think that's where he tries to go one step to like the bit ends after this. And he goes, Mm -hmm. I think if he was doing this as like a polished thing to like keep them on board, he wouldn't have done that. Right. But he's so charming and he's so good that it doesn't matter to him. And he wants to create this provocative thing. Right. Doing that as like, Oh no. Cause he does take it one step further than I think even he would admit that like is good. Like Mm -hmm. talent being more important than morals is like, oh, as a society, we give people passes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then as soon as we it's, realize we didn't actually give Michael Jackson a pass on that because that was so beyond the line. Do you know? Yeah. Oh, I have a I have a sneaking suspicion. Yeah. 
um, because uh, a general rule of thumb, and of course there are plenty of counterexamples to this, but uh, comedy ought to afflict the comforted and comfort the afflicted. Uh, and what he is doing here is he gets to the point where he's he is afflicting, afflicting the, afflict. the afflicted. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He's saying they should be thankful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I think it, that's it. It sounds it, like uh, you were asking for it of like the yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah 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 and I think that's Which why is, people are all of a sudden like it's tongue in cheek and he's not being he's not being serious. But it's just too. It's just too. It's too much. Yeah. He's not poking fun at himself. Mm-hmm. He's not poking fun, fun right. of society. He is. It's clearly at the expense at this point of the victims in this scenario, mm-hmm. right? right. Mm-hmm. It almost. I don't know if this is. This might be too far. But what he kind of does is he starts with an idea that's like, oh, this is hypocrisy in us, mm-hmm. and then it goes to the extreme of. Okay, now if this were true in other scenarios, yeah. where is it wrong? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's almost. It's. It's making the audience have to constantly be thinking throughout his mm-hmm. act. What do I think about this? What's the dialogue that we're creating? How do I actually mm-hmm. justify this in my own mind? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a lot of what he tries to do. He wants the audience to be thinking about things differently when they leave than when they came in. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so by you, the way you do that a lot of times is you push it too far, and then you say, okay, that was the one where that's... That's why I don't think that this is good. What's that? It's uh, it's supposed to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. That's great. What's that from? Cosby. I got it from a book. I is got it, it Gallagher. It sounds like Gallagher. It's not Gallagher. <laughs> Gallagher <laughs> Gallagher's <laughs> afflict the watermelon. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. It. He hits the watermelon. That's his deep things, and then he moves on to the fruit. Yeah, um, uh, comfort the afflicted, afflicted, comforted. I I can't. I think it's the guy. He was the editor for the Onion for a really long time. Oh, I'm not gonna um, do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It's a fantastic book. I really, really love. Cool. It. Yeah, no. I like, I like that quote. That's mm-hmm. a really nice soundbite. Yeah. I'll, I'll find out and toss, toss in the show notes. Another thing about this theme is there are different devices, I think, that serve a challenging premise. In particular with Taboo. With Taboo, if it's challenging because it's Taboo, I think you've got to make it silly. Yeah, for sure. You Or absurd or surreal or, or use some device like that yeah. to alleviate the incredible amount of tension that you're applying to the mm-hmm. room. Yeah, or, or even uh, doing it with like some kind of mapping device where you're, you make it about something else and you're showing like, the silliness if it's mm-hmm. with something else, if mm-hmm. you're doing it that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, like, he does that by making a, a, like a, a, a fantasy thing within heaven of talking yes. with God and St. Peter. It becomes in this land of fantasy and like kind of it's fictionalized. So it's, you can go with it a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. I do think um, it's going to be fun to trace that through the other bits. That we're yeah. Gonna Come on. Let's talk about sex. Hey, if you're digging what we're doing here and you think someone else would benefit from it, please tell them about us. If you're listening on the podcast app on your iPhone, just look in the lower right corner. There's three dots. Tap that, then share episode. You can also tap the cartoon image of Harrison and me in the app if you have the episode selected. And then you'll see all the show notes that I painstakingly write. Did you know that that shit was even there? I've even added some easy Facebook and Twitter sharing links. Or if you're an Android person, all you got to do is just simply do whatever the hell Android people do for that. I don't know. And one more thing. I would love for the podcast to pay for itself. I'm going to keep doing it regardless. But... If you're feeling grateful and generous, head to Patreon and throw us a few bucks. There's a link in the show notes. Okay, back to the show. 
Let me introduce our guest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) John Newman is a stand-up comedian and writer based here in New York City. He's originally from Virginia. And in his own words, John has the straight, white, male perspective that everyone is dying to hear. (laughs) I wrote that on my website when I thought that was funny a while ago. It reads a little tone deaf now. (laughs) I should have looked at that. (laughs) I thought it was funny a while ago. Yeah, was that before the election? (laughs) Uh, I think it might have (laughs) been. That's so funny. John performs all over New York City in, in The Stand, Dangerfields, Eastville Comedy Club, New York Comedy Club, Broadway Comedy Club. He was a finalist at the 2016 Make Me Laugh Albany Festival, and he's performed in a variety of other festivals all over the place. And he also runs a podcast called Comedians in Coffee Getting Cars. <laughs> it's very fun. I've done yeah. <laughs> uh, Where comedians sit in a hot tub of coffee <laughs> and plan a gone in 60 seconds style heist. <laughs> yeah, it's real dumb. <laughs> it's really fun. Though. I really enjoyed it. What uh, was what was my thing? What was your heist that we did on? Oh, I just w- kidnap all the comics to get them out of the way. Yeah, we like uh, we blew up comedy venues in New York. This was a little bit uh, just, dark. <laughs> yeah, I threw a grenade into the creek downstairs area and locked the door, and everyone Some exploded. Are fun heists. One we we un- unlocked the Disney vault to release all the old Disney movies. That was one of the more fun ones. Yours was one of the darker heists. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! D- release all the old ones? Like yeah, we uh, broke into the Disney vault and released all the old movies. Remember how Disney videos used to be like they would precious. Yeah, you wouldn't. They wouldn't release all the Disney movies at once. You had to like. They're like, this one goes back in the vault, so buy it now. Like you couldn't get the Little yeah. Mermaid. For they a while. they treated wow, it like McDonald's that. treats some of their food. Yeah, it was like oh, the like McRibbing. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, that's what Disney did. With nice, nice. <laughs> we just fist bumped. Um, <laughs> awesome. But yeah, it's a real. We we just talk for a while and then we plan a heist. It's, yeah, it's, it was really fun. Awesome. Um, why stand up, John? What's it, what's what's your little journey into stand up? Why stand up? Uh, so I I always loved stand up. I remember when I was in sixth grade, there was like a, a end of the year class party, and a friend had like a music set up in his basement with a microphone, and I just took it and did old Jerry Seinfeld bits. Yes, and people loved it because they didn't know I was ripping off Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> and I just loved doing that. But it never clicked that I could actually do stand-up for a long time. Isn't that so, funny how yeah. so many of us, we don't get that it's a job that people do. Yeah. We figure it's like they were anointed somehow. Right. Yeah. yeah. That they just popped out, that the that the universe extruded them fully formed in front of a microphone. <laughs> yeah, and it, it wasn't... I just, I always loved it, but I ne- it never clicked. And right. then I moved up here right after college. I, I studied graphic design in school, and I got a design job in an ad agency. Mm-hmm. And I worked there, and I worked at a couple places. And then... Three years ago and change, I was just super creatively frustrated at my job. And a fr- two friends of mine said, hey, we're, we just did an open mic. And I was like, well, you can do that? Like, what, are you yeah. crazy? I'm like, I'm going to that with you. So is it open to people? Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Wait, uh, who was it? What are the people that are still Scott England and Fumi Abe. Fumi was Fumi. Oh, oh I knew Fumi before. This is the problem. I talk about Fumi on most podcasts. I do because whenever you talk origin story, I have yeah. to talk about him. And I just mm-hmm. it's. Uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah. My he's a guest re- of ours. He was a guest. Yeah, yeah. I, the great. That was a great episode. We don't have to preface yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> great comedian Fumi Abe. Uh, yeah. He was friends with my roommate. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went to NYU together. So I met Fumi like my fourth day in New York. 
No, oh, nice. And then so we became friends, and then we were hanging out, and he's like, "Hey, I just did this open mic," and I'm like, "Tell me about the next one you do." And so we started going to mics together. Yeah. And then I remember right when we started, uh, like after the first one I did, he's like, this is fun. We should do this like uh, once every other week or something. Ah. <laughs> once every other week. And then he took to it much quicker than I did. Mm -hmm. I kind of did it every week or two. And then I started doing improv mm -hmm. and got really into improv. Yeah. And when I was doing improv, then he decided to go get really good at stand-up. <laughs> and then so I kind of came back to stand-up. I'm yeah. curious, did yeah. you come back to stand-up because... Like, did you develop feelings about how he was getting really good at stand up, and that's what did it? Oh, interesting. I mean, partially, probably. Yeah. Uh, probably not consciously like that, but mm -hmm. it was. Uh, I was still doing stand up throughout doing improv, just probably not as much. I was probably yeah. getting on stage for stand up three times a week. Do you still do improv at all? No. To me, uh, my impression of you um, from seeing you at mics, from hearing your material, is that you are a person who has who believes that he has things he wants to say. You have a perspective yeah, a you want to share. Flaw. Yeah, <laughs> whatever, whatever. You know what? Look, we've had plenty of comedians on here who 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 uh, are solidly in the camp of shut up about your perspective and make me laugh. Yeah. I love a new perspective. Yeah. Okay. Great. I love it. Yeah. I I uh, when if I walk away from a stand up comedy show and I think I'm like I never thought about it like that. Yeah. I am thinking that's a great show to me. Right. Yeah. I'm fascinated by being able to influence people's perspective through back doors and back channels. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Like I think you can say something to someone directly and they're not going to hear it but if you find a funny way to get in through a side yes. door mm -hmm. you're going to be able to affect someone. Oh for and sure. And in a weird Machiavellian way I really like influencing people. Yeah yeah. And, and, and to me it's sort of a, a little, it's it's similar, but maybe less Machiavellian. Yeah, sure. uh, uh, I um, it, to me, it's it's. I feel like I owe stand up so much for my worldview. Yeah, sure. Um, I go back and listen to old stand up that I heard, like Chris Rock, one of the bits we're going to play later, or 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 the things that trickled through the very dense filter of living in Montana. The yeah, things that sure. made it through. <laughs> uh, they really. I'll go back and listen to a bit and go. That's where I got that idea. Yeah, right. Yeah. I I thought that was my idea. It <laughs> yeah. super wasn't. It was Chris Rock's idea, uh, or wherever he got it. And so I, uh, I, I, for me, it's I feel so much gratitude toward really good stand up that made me laugh so hard that my defenses came down and it planted a seed that I didn't even know was planted deep in my psyche. Yeah. That 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 I that I am glad I have to this day that I want to do that for other people. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I I love that. I think that's great. Yeah, so much the stuff that's affected me the most and the stand up that sticks with me is stuff that's moving and that like like tugs at me in a special way. Like we were talking about Neil Brennan's three mics before this, mm -hmm. the way that he's able to combine really, really funny stand up and stories that affect his mind and mm -hmm. how his life has been changed by it and how jokes have like, he ends the special talking about how his life feels like it's like water that's like rising up. And every time he thinks of a joke, it's like the water level lowers a little bit mm -hmm. and it's the biggest gift. Yeah. So it's that stand up is this, I don't know. I just think it's this powerful thing that's really impacted my life. Dude, in a special I, way. I, I just last night, just last night, I saw Dave Chappelle at Radio City Music Hall, and at the very, very end of it, he incorporated that sort of pathos. He had a message that he wanted to deliver, and people do go to see him and a few others to hear what they have to say on a topic. Yeah. And when he, he did it, I, I, and everybody around, you could just feel the entire this giant music hall full mm -hmm. of people you, they were just chills throughout the room everybody just being like, thank you yeah 
Yeah. And, and especially I, now where we are, like, timing-wise, yes. whenever this released, it's like three days out from the Charlottesville incident. Uh-huh. You look on YouTube right now, the top three trending videos are Seth Meyers, John Oliver, and Jimmy Fallon. People yes. are looking to comedians for this type of voice now, which yeah, feels right. high-minded and whatever. But, but for whatever reason, these are the voices that we value right now. It's speak truth to power thing. It, it really, we want, please, will put, someone please speak truth to power. Yeah. It, and... Um, and I get, I get the other perspective. Having had enough other comedians on her who were like, shut yes. up, make me laugh, be silly, be stupid. There's, don't, don't have a point. And I used to hate those guys, but I've talked to enough of them now, and I get their perspective. And I actually really respect it because there is something to be said about having just a lot of absurd, silly, stupid things oh, yeah. that yeah. don't make you think, that don't make you go there. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it, but my heart loves a perspective. Yeah, there's room yeah. for both. Like We yeah, need right. all of them. There's... Right. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of comedians in New York right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I threw a grenade we, out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Call back to another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and if, and if, <laughs> right, right, right. And if we were all Bill Hicks impersonators, <laughs> it I, would be very I think, fun. I think what a lot of people are rebelling against is that people, it's really hard to do that. Like what Gerard yes. does in this bit, mm-hmm. what it's really hard to do, what Chris Rock did that impacted you. Uh-huh. It's really mm-hmm. hard to sound like a pretentious douchebag when you're doing that. Really hard not to. It's easy oh, to sound sorry. like yes, a pretentious. Yes, yes, <laughs> correct. It's really hard. I to... have tried to sound like a pretentious <laughs> douchebag for so long, and I, God damn it, I think I'm getting it right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And when we've seen when we've been in a million open mics where people are trying and failing that, you Ooh, just yeah. want to rebel so hard. Yeah, yeah. shut the fuck, fuck up. You. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really fun. Well. I was I was talking to someone about this last night, which was um, the night after Trump got elected. Uh, it, w- it felt like the entire I mean, living in New York City, it was like everyone oh, yeah. was sick. It felt like everyone just like was about cab- to vomit. Some of the best cab drive rides I've ever had, though, were. were when, yeah. <laughs> but I remember SNL was like, I think it was the day or two days after. And the guest was Dave Chappelle. And no. And it was like. This feeling because everyone was like, where do we turn? And then here comes this wise, great comedian who hasn't been really seen in years Mm -hmm. comes back the day of this like huge national disaster. And he like speaks on it. And he's not just like, yo, fuck Trump. He's just like, mm-hmm. he's like, you should hear him now. We're all in pain. And you should hear him now. What? He, he goes should... back on the give Trump. Oh, yeah. But I did think that was like a great moment because it was like, yeah, I agree. I didn't yeah, like necessarily agree with wanting to give him a chance, but I thought it was like good that an older black Muslim man who has this insane perspective on the world is saying, let's give something a chance like yeah, let right. and hope he, he was will he give had us an open one. mind and i thought that was a beautiful yeah, thing and yeah. he does what comedy can do so well and what he specifically can do so well which he told yeah. that beautiful story about the party in the white house with oh, lots of black bradley people. and bradley and bradley <laughs> lots of black people and bradley <laughs> so cooper funny. and it was funny and it was poignant and he mm-hmm. was saying we've made a lot of progress we still have years like light years yeah. to go and especially in light of like current it's like yeah of course yeah but it's yeah, that anecdote about like I think Frederick Douglass. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 poignant, and it can cut to people in a way that a lot of stuff can't because we're yeah. so detached from things. But Absolutely. comedy can still cut through. If you could inhabit the body of like a, of some comedian and take over their career, like, okay, who would it be? John Mulaney. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love wow. how fast it was. Yeah. So fast. I mean, it's a no. So, it's a no brainer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why? 
Uh, he, that's another, right at the same time that Fumi was saying, Hey, I did an open mic. I had just watched new in town for the first time. <laughs> it's such a great special. It's such a good special. And there were a couple lines in it that I was like, Oh, like this is me. If I was funnier and did like, that's one of the yeah. things that clicked mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. I would really like to do now. I know now that it was just that he's, that's how I felt about Louis hilarious where it was like, sure. Oh my God, yeah. that's the thing that I thought, but right. I can't say it that yeah. funny. That yeah. was great. Yeah. Little did I know it was just that he was just a genius and a brilliant joke writer. So mm-hmm. he was able to make me feel like I was him to a degree, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> I just, we have similar perspectives in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's uh, an example of that? Like kind of thought that like, I remember felt the, like of your own mind. Cause in, I, I, yeah. In new in town, there's one, he talks like, I have a girlfriend, which is weird. Because I'm probably gay based on the way I've walked and talked. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like God built three quarters of a gay person, and that, not necessarily that I felt that completely, but yeah, yeah. he just had a way of that taking, was a feeling that you, yeah, sure, mm-hmm. it was like just an ostracized type thing right, or that right, mentality, right. yeah, yeah, um, and just the way he talked a lot about stuff growing up, and uh, he has like a history of like alcoholism and like at the like I was thinking of like different like drugs and getting arrested type yeah, stuff yeah. in my past too. So it's like it had a lot of mapping mm-hmm. type things. And just sensibility wise, mm-hmm. I just think that we He self deprecates the same way you do. Yeah, we yeah. have I think the same combo of things, which is like self deprecation, observational and like really just, tiny dick. And a huge yeah. penis. Oh and, <laughs> uh, but and like but also having this like dark twist on things like appearing very light and bubbly uh-huh. but making dark twists every now and again like i just really liked that i thought his the dials he had on like smart silly and lots of things uh-huh. are the dials where i like them uh, i'm glad i asked that's cool yeah awesome well uh speaking of let's play some of your material oh boy all right oh, is there boy. anything you would like to say about this before we start um, yeah, the reason I chose this when you asked for it is I think it hit on the same notes of, uh, I like being in a position of, uh, being, having a different viewpoint than the audience and trying to make, be funny from a different perspective. Awesome. Okay. And this is, uh, oh, what is it called? It's, just, it's a bit about weed. <laughs> weed bit. <laughs> weed bit. When, the I, weed... when I put it in set list, I write weed. <laughs> <laughs> this is the weed bit by John Newman at QED in Queens. <laughs> Are we weed people in here? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I go back and forth. I'm trying to smoke less weed for two reasons. One, uh, I just don't take care of myself when I'm smoking too much. They get those people in your life that will tell you they can smoke weed and then just go about their day. Yeah, those are people with low potential to begin with. <laughs> and my friend is like, yeah, I can smoke weed and then I'm fine. I'm like, yeah, that's because no one expected anything from you. Go <laughs> <laughs> back to your shift at Dave & Buster's. <laughs> It's true. People brag about that stuff all the time. People brag about smoking and drinking. A bunch of my coworkers always come up to me like every Thursday or Friday. They're like, dude, you do not want to come out with me and my friends. We can drink. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I don't want to come out with you and your friends. <laughs> your main talent seems like it's the ability to develop a disease. <laughs> you just wouldn't do that with anything else debilitating. You'd never be like, yo, you do not want to come to the casino with me this weekend. I am going to lose thousands. <laughs> also, it's not true. People that brag about how much they can drink can't actually drink. You know who can drink? People who stay silent about that shit. (laughs) You go out that friend, you're like, dude, how many have you had? He's like, mind your goddamn business. (laughs) That's not who can drink. (laughs) Reason number two, I want to smoke last week, maybe you can reserve this. I was on my Netflix recently watch list, and it's just a stream of movies that I've eaten that it's into. I start movies like, oh, that's right, you can't remember plot at all like this. Too Fast, Too Furious? 
too complicated. Oh, that's a great bit, John. Thanks, man. Ah, Low potential to begin with is my favorite. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's such a great observation. (laughs) No one expected anything of you. That's why you can function. That's so funny. It's such a great observation. And you're also... I love you bashing cocky partiers because cocky mm-hmm. partiers are my fa- my least favorite demographic of person. Yeah, it was I, that came from a bunch of people that just that had really happened to me. People had been like, yeah. like, yo, I can drink a lot. It's like, why are you proud of how much? It's just know. so weird to me. I, I, like, I like I like how you put it. You're, you're, it sounds like you're really um, good at getting a disease. How yeah. did you put it exactly? Like your main ability is what the ability to develop a disease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's and the people who do have a big problem with it are like, uh uh-oh, I really should get this under control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a great... I love how you you flip it because um, the dominant... Particularly if you're in a bar and you're telling jokes... You're with people, a lot of them are going to be smoking, drinking, weed, whatever. Yeah, right. So they're going to be very pro their choices. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's like, not a lot of people walk in there like, I make all the wrong choices when it comes to drugs. Because everybody thinks, unless they're, they're addicted and they're ruining their lives, think they do the exact right drugs mm-hmm. and the exact right amount of yeah, drugs. Yeah, exactly. Everybody believes that. And there's just a thing going on. It's probably just we're in a liberal New York bubble, but the, the zeitgeist is marijuana is a very good thing, mm-hmm. and it's crazy that it's not legal everywhere. It's basically a vegetable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the line I said before that I need to work into the bit somewhere is that like, it's like somehow we're supposed to treat weed like it's a multivitamin. Like, yeah, I don't. It's still a drug. Yeah, and I noticed. So I I, uh, I smoked a lot of weed in high school, and then I got arrested and sent away to this boarding school. Oh, and then it kind of, it didn't ruin my life, but it definitely like sent things on a weird trajectory. Uh-huh. And I didn't like. I remember I was at this boarding school and I watched. I was going to say, you didn't like it? (laughs) (laughs) I remember I was watching the movie Big Fish at this boarding school and I was like, I was going back and forth this debate in my mind of like, is weed a good thing or is it a bad thing for my life? And I watched the movie Big Fish, which I had also watched stoned in high school. And when I saw it sober in the boarding school, I understood it more. I liked it more. I appreciated it more. And it was this moment in my life of like, oh, there are probably things in your life way better not on weed. Yeah. And that was just such a counter like counter idea to everything I had heard of like it's this amazing drug. Well, so I, I just stopped doing it for a long time. And the, Sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, no, I, I, I get what you're saying exactly. I smoked weed for a while too and then I stopped. Um, and and I, I stopped just because um, it got to the point where it wasn't fun. Um, it, like it, it turned on me and it became like weed was Gollum. And it was just sitting like on my shoulder, just uh, being like, they hate us. They hate <laughs> us. I'm like, they're my family, my friends. Uh, Why are you? <laughs> no. So I, I, it wasn't fun for me anymore. But also to your point, like it makes me, I found that it made me not like, not be able to appreciate anything very complicated because sure. I would just get yeah. lost. Yeah. But things that were really dumb that I ordinarily wouldn't like, it really made them enjoyable because I was just like, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. The, the the beginning of the bit when I first started doing it that I had to change because it didn't work. I would talk about how weed is a drug for dumb people, and, <laughs> and it's a little. It was too much. Everyone yeah. hated it. I yeah. still kind of think it's true, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, yeah. I, I think it has its place and it's a good thing over like. And I I think there's a lot of good to come with it. I just got fed up with the idea that everyone talked about it like it was this amazing thing. Right. So I yeah. wanted to do it from the right. other side. It's right. an, as someone that smokes weed every night, 
It's awful. Uh, I, I don't enjoy the experience. I, I think it was you who said it to me. Like, yeah. it's the only thing that you do that every day that you hate. Yeah, you, every day. Yeah. I just it just there's certain moments where uh, it's actually been. I would say in the state I'm in now, it's helped because it does let me like I go up on my roof. And I smoke a little bowl and I listen to a podcast or listen to some music. Uh, for the listeners, I'm referring to a weird situation I'm in that you've already heard about, which is a breakup. So <laughs> it, it does help me in that way. Sometimes it lets me get like hung up on comedy or not hung up on comedy, like invest in comedy mentally yeah, sure. when I'm by myself with my own thoughts, which is an important thing to get to do in like a rough yeah. patch. But in general... It just f- makes me a little like anxious and paranoid, yeah. and it's like I have like a dependent dependency to it to like to make me fall asleep. But I just think it's it's so stupid, and it like limits you and it handicaps you in a way. Because yeah, I it, like the idea of a break. I think that's a phenomenal use of it. I just yeah. the dependency is where it starts to if you need it for things as opposed to oh this is a break from things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, or if, oh god, uh, this this bit you you introduce. The the you introduce the challenging premise, which is okay. The zeitgeist says weed's amazing; it's a multivitamin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everyone should do it; it's so great. Right, good for you. And you you go. I don't think it's that good for you, and here's why. Um, and I think yeah. that one of the maybe one of the the, the things that makes uh, challenging premise work is when you can say the thing that people don't agree with, and then explain your reasoning. But it's got to make them laugh throughout. Yeah, totally. And the dev- what, what would you say is the devices that you use in here? I, I use, like, voices of the dumb guy a couple times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like I'm, I'm doing a little, like, act out type thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I, may, I bring it into a fun example that they can probably relate to of, like, you, your Netflix. You're not able to watch movies the same way. So my Netflix yeah. stream is, is eight is minutes into all right. these I'm eight minutes right. into. So also, funny. you took it on yourself. Yes. And as you, if you said, if you flipped it around, you went, anybody who has watched Netflix and they're smoking weed only gets eight minutes into Yeah, that's the, insufferable. That's, yeah, yeah, right. But instead, you take it on yourself and yeah. you make yourself the foil right yeah right and then everybody gets to feel superior to you for a moment yeah I'm at the, the same dumb guy. at the same time that you're mm-hmm. telling them what i think is right and what you think is wrong yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's i get to be the condemning asshole and the dumb guy at the yes. same time right yes. right it's very it's a fun right. place to be i also uh think another thing that you do here you make a very specific you, you use specificity to great degree to great effect which is you go uh you, oh you're going to your shift at dave and Buster's. yes that the reason I did that was most of my jokes are just uh, they led to things that didn't work and then the, the <laughs> artifacts stayed in there sometimes. Yeah. I had a joke about uh, uh, what was it? It was something about Dave and Buster's. Who's that place for pedophiles who outgrew Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> and it was too much for people. But yeah, the Dave and Buster's line stayed. Yeah, <laughs> I thought so it was funny. a fun example. That's super funny. And then oh, yeah, the cocky part. Part. I, I mean, you nailed it perfectly. It's exactly what you talk, cocky partiers. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the bragging about smoking and drinking. Um, and how you're just developing an illness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's and, super and, funny. What was it? She said something about like, um, how, no, I don't want to go out with you. Yeah. Um, it was, it's, it's a very simple statement. It's not even like a, a fantastically, um, well-constructed joke. Mm-hmm. But what I like is that they're trying to get you to have a good time 
and you essentially you just immediately negate it and you're like there's no way i'm gonna have a good time with you yeah <laughs> and there's like some word repetition stuff that's fun of like okay like you do not want to come out with me and my friends I'm like yeah you're right i don't want to come out with you and your friends right and then not. later oh in it, yeah you you recontextualize that phrase yes okay i take the, the exact same phrase and then and later the reflection on when you say it is also really funny because you know weird that reflection you do not yeah yeah you do not and you, come out with and you, well, what I, okay so what actually happens there is it that's that's wordplay you you pun that phrase yes right right it meant this here and now it means this in this sentence right right mm-hmm. and so then people go look what he did uh-huh. <laughs> i heard that word eight seconds ago <laughs> and it's the same thing i do later i end the bit with saying about like movies i say too fast too furious uh-huh. too complicated yeah yeah so yeah. it's repeating the same fantastic putting some like just stupid wordplay too complicated <laughs> i actually think you're fantastic at that uh I, I i could use a little bit more of it i can do it on the fly in conversation but when i sit down and try to write a joke out the window oh isn't it amazing <laughs> that when you sit down to write a joke you're like oh i don't know how to do this at all <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i feel like writing on stage is super important do you write on stage or do you write on uh, yeah, I try to do both. Back uh, and forth. Yeah, yeah I, I, I write down bullets. Yeah, I think bullets are the way to this go. This is you just you're... defending refusing to do work when you're not on stage. Uh, <laughs> it's all this is. No, I, I, I write, when I write down, it does. it is just bullet form because I, I record every set I do it as, as a voice memo. Yeah. And then it just, like, mm. I listen to it a lot, so I, like, kind of sure. it, it ingrains, and then I just add tags. Until he loses his phone again, and then it's, then it's all gone <laughs> again. <laughs> because he won't use the app that I keep trying to get him to do. Yeah, comedy like, dead. Comedy, comedly dead, comedly dead, comedly dead, listen to him all right uh there's there's two things with that that i find super interesting one uh it, this was a Mulaney thing as well like every things Mulaney says in interviews just stick with me mm-hmm. like i think we just like his oh, if brain you force of, yourself to write then you will start writing yeah it's yeah. he's saying i used to think that it's like i just write on stage it's like if you sit down and do the work uh, yeah you are going to get like there but it's also it's both like i'll do that i'll write bullets and then if i get on stage and it gets a good laugh i'll go with it for a yeah. while and then listen to it and say what worked what didn't i'd love to in like uh, f- uh script writing software like write my entire like transcript for my like like wh- however much time i have and just see what it would look like on because every time i write down in full sentences i feel like i i lose part yeah of my i don't like doing that because like, i lose the tone of how i normally talk so exactly I like well that's why i loved right. what dave colombo said in the episode that we had about silliness um, his technique was he, and I feel like it's, it bridges the gap between the written mind and the verbal mind so well is he writes out mm-hmm. keywords on his mirror. Um, and then he, and he tries to say the thing and then he sits back down and he writes out what he said. And then he, he converts that back over oh, to keywords, goes yeah. back to the mirror and he goes to this iterative process back and forth. I love that. It's so cool. And it's way more fun than sitting at, a, at a, sitting there, um, at your journal or your notebook or your computer and being upset with yourself. Sure. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> Do yeah. you guys categorize your jokes at all? Like, One, do you totally? Yeah, I have a database. What do you, what do you use for it? Uh, Evernote. You're okay, my cool. database. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I use Trello for all my jokes. Oh, Trello's yeah. great. Yeah, I just I just discovered it. Uh huh. And I have boards for all the stuff I'm working on, and then what's in my five minutes? Oh, nice. I'd love minutes. it. Okay, we have to we have to trade. We all, have right. To, all right, all right. We'll do this later. All right, awesome. I just go out and speak my truth. Classic presents, you pussy. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. that bit. Yeah, that was. 
great bit. Um, is there anything else you want to say about it? Anything about the writing process of that bit or the genesis of it? Uh, I mean, that bit is like two years old, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's changed every month or two oh, as that's I develop cool. like more. And I, I like older bits that I have. That it have sounds morphed. polished. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. Yeah, uh, but it's probably going to keep morphing and changing. And I've just I've it's been in. Like if I have a show where I have like seven or eight minutes, it's gone in and out of being in that seven or eight minutes as I think of new ideas. Yeah. Fuck, you know what would make that bit really gr- good? If you did it while you're high, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Oh my god. There yeah, are I think some my, people. My, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. We, we had Mike Guild on the podcast, <laughs> and he is not in either of the camps that you talk about, which yeah. is like the like low I functioning. To smoke. And so it's perfect for them. He was like just. He was smoking so much weed while he was doing the podcast, and he was so much more so, like on point. And I met like people he, like that. I, I'm yeah, high functioning. Sure, yeah. I, I do realize that this bit doesn't take into account some people's body chemistry is just very different. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking. Oh, why? Yeah, I didn't think you were like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, like yeah. Black it's a and white perspective, and right. I think that's that's something that's really important with when we're talking about uh, challenging premises. Is that it's fuck vanilla principle, which is a Pete Holmes thing. Huh? Which is fuck vanilla principle is like a comedy principle where it's like you might kind of like vanilla and really like chocolate, but it's so much funnier to be like, I love chocolate and fuck vanilla. Yeah, oh, right. Like, yeah, yeah. Like have that. a viewpoint. A, yeah. Com- yeah, yeah, yeah. a comedic perspective isn't fair. Exaggerated. Yeah. To the, you want an extreme emotion yeah. attached uh, no, to something. I, I think it's, well, uh, maybe a, like a higher, like, like more conceptual way to he put it. He doesn't really hate people that sm- smoke that much weed all the time, like at all, all times. I'm sure there's just like people in your mind that represent that. Oh, you're saying pers- me? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. And I still do. I'm a hypocrite. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just, but it's so much funnier if he just yeah, seems right, like right, he right. wants to I, put I, them I, into a ch- concentration yeah. camp. Almost. I've actually struggled with this a little bit because yeah. I have a problem with the truth. I really, really hate lying, and the categories of things that I consider lying is really, really much larger than most people. Uh, yeah, to yeah. the point where it's oh, wow. caused me intense problems throughout most of my early development. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, like I had to learn to lie to uh, fit in socially. Like people would be like, I remember the first time somebody was like, "Hey, how's it going?" and I told them. <laughs> How's it going, man? What's up? Yeah, I'll be like, oh, here are all the things. Let me answer your question. Yeah, like, too much. it was just so. I was like, I'm like border. I'm like spectrum. I got a bit of the spectrum, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like I so. To me, I've had to learn to do that in comedy, too, to take that comedic perspective and go, well, this is the fair, more accurate version of what I really think. Yeah. But that's not funny. Right. Now, let me take it a step further and risk me being a little irritated myself because it's not 100% factually accurate with how I feel and think. Yeah, you lie to get at our bigger truth. Yeah. You're okay yes. with lying about yes. the details to get yes. at something yes. stronger. Yeah, yes. I'm way on board with that. Yeah, and it, but it's taken, it's, that's been a tough lesson yeah. throughout in every avenue of my life. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, how do I look in this dress? Oh, well, I'll tell you. You'd like the information you asked me for? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I have a feeling I want. Uh-huh. Yep. Come on. Let's talk about sex. All right, well, let's uh, let's play another bit. I li- I just want to preface this bit. This is uh, a challenging premise because it's like months after uh, the great Steve Jobs died, mm-hmm. gotcha. and the premise of the bit is why the fuck should I care about right, Steve right. Jobs? And it is a raw work. time to do it, and he argues it so well and yeah. so brilliantly. All right, so this is Bill Burr at Night of Too Many Stars back in 2012. Actually, Nerd Jesus died in the last year, right? <laughs> Steve Jobs. Uh, yeah, he died, right? I know. I know. A lot of nerds here tonight. I know. You're sad. 
I didn't get it. I didn't get the big deal they made about that guy. When he died, they were like, he changed the world. That was insane. He changed the world. The world was one way. And then Steve Jobs came. And it was another. What did he do? Somebody, for the love of God, what the fuck did that guy do? What did he do? He told other people what to invent? I want my entire music collection in that phone. Get on it! Right? And then these poor, nameless, faceless scientists got to go in a back room and figure it out. How the fuck are we going to get all of this into this? I mean... What year does this guy think this is? This is crazy. This is like Buck Rogers. Dude, my kid has a birthday in like 11 months. Steve Jobs just walking by. I don't hear any thinking going on in there. Just strutting around the office, eating some pretentious fruit Uh. like a pear. Just throwing out ideas. There's another one. There's another one I just came up with on the way to work. I was reading a magazine the other day, turning pages, you know? I like to turn pages on a screen that aren't even there. Yeah, wrap your fucking heads around that, guys! See you in eight years! Where you going, Michael? Big, little, big, little, get on it! Right? And all these people slave away to make his vision come true. And then they have the big nerd fest, right? down there Comic Con and all their nerd mecca. They're all showing up with their acne and their Hulk shirts limping into the arena. Right? Does Steve Jobs go out with a whole chorus line of scientists? No, he goes out there by himself. Sneakers and no belt like it was no biggie. Right? Like he's like he's Tesla. Tapping into the atmosphere. I know, this is always uncomfortable. I know, you bought into it, right? That whole advertising, the way they aligned themselves with some of the greatest people of all time. (laughs) Jesus, Gandhi, me! (laughs) Remember that? Muhammad Ali, John Lennon, this guy! (laughs) How the fuck was that dude like any of them? (laughs) Gandhi didn't have a sweatshop. (laughs) No, he didn't have people leaping to their deaths only to get... (laughs) Catch a net and get ricocheted back through the window to have to put together yet another iPad. John Lennon didn't have children in his basement pressing those fucking albums. I know, I know. New phone can't fit the old charger. This is your hero. This is the guy. This is what all the silence is about. New phone can't fit the old charger, so then you got to throw it out. Ends up in the ocean around some octopus's neck. <laughs> Do you realize how much sea life is ecstatic that that man is no longer walking the earth? <laughs> That's where it all ends up, you know. Doesn't go in a landfill, ends up in the ocean. You realize that? I hate people who say I don't pollute. I don't pollute. Yeah, you do. You use shit and you throw it out. Well, you think because you put it in like a basket, it just poof, disappears? <laughs> Everything he ever used is somewhere. You ever think about that? Remember that flannel shirt you bought back in the day when you got into Pearl Jam? That's out there somewhere. Probably on some porpoise's face, trying to get it off. Stupid little flippers. All the fads. You remember rollerblading? 
Remember that? Everybody had them. We set up cones. We did little tricks, right? One little homophobic joke killed that entire fad. What's the hardest thing about rollerblading? Eh, telling your parents you're gay. Full-grown adults. Dude, I'm not gay. I don't have the cooties. These mean I suck dick. And they just threw them out. They end up in the ocean. They're made out of plastic. They can't biodegrade. They just break down to little cubes. Fish are breathing them in. Six months later, you're going out. You're getting sushi. You think you're being healthy. You're eating your own rollerblades. <laughs> All right, I'm out of time. You guys are great. Oh thank you. God. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Fucking so good. incredible set. Yeah. Ooh, it's so good. All yeah. right. So this is a challenging premise, right? Yeah. For a few reasons. A, it's complex. And B, it's taboo. Mm-hmm. Right? C, he's also, I think... Well, this fits under the taboo umbrella. He's he, he's going after the dead, you know. Sure, yeah. Right, recently dead. Uh, so let's dig in. I think the visualization aspect is the part that really brings everything home because mm-hmm. before they're just thinking of him as like a cultural icon, and then he turns him into almost like the office space boss, like where he's just like an insufferable domineering uh, domineering like you're demanding. his subordinate and it's just like i'm Irrational. the one making this happen and he's just yelling at me and like a pretentious fruit like a pear oh that's oh, such a good line that uh, line is so it's i, I didn't get so it the visual. first time it went got it went past me the first time i listened to this and when i heard it again i was like oh like an apple oh pretentious fruit apple apple computers like it's a double joke. Yeah. It, oh, has, I it has both. Yeah. I didn't actually get that until you just said that. Yeah, right. It, it took me a couple of times and I went, oh my God, that's fucking genius. That's really because funny. Because pretentious fruit, you think he's going to make an apple reference. Like it's right. like a pear and you're like, that is a better pretentious fruit. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so great. That's really funny. Yeah. There's a couple lines it. in it that I love. One, when he addresses the little lull, he's like, this is awkward. You all bought into it. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's yeah. like, I'm better than you because yep. I saw this and you didn't. Yeah. Right? And it's them coming to grips of, oh yeah, Gandhi didn't own a sweatshop. And it's like, you all bought into it because of this thing right. and then he breaks down the thing exactly. with jesus right. gandhi me uh-huh right and it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 proposition uh uh and then and then supporting arguments here mm-hmm. and his supporting arguments and the best i think the best supporting arguments for comedy for stand-up in particular are counterpoint arguments yeah. where you go you just paint an absurd counterexample. gandhi didn't have a sweatshop you want the moment you say x isn't yeah, you are in the. You can say anything now. You're right. in. Yeah. You're in. You're in universal freedom land. You can say anything you want. So now he gets to be like Gandhi didn't have a sweatshop, and we were all like, "Oh, that is true. Gandhi had no sweatshops." <laughs> right. And then you go, but Steve Jobs did. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. One of the beautiful things about stand-up is you can present logical fallacies. It doesn't yes, need to be yes. a tight logical mm-hmm. structure nope. for it to work. Right. And people will buy it. Like if you presented some of your bits in a college logic class, you would fail right. because yeah. it's not sound logically. <laughs> no. But it doesn't yeah. matter. And that's right. what's so fun about it. It's like if you preside the fun examples, it's like it clicks with that part of your brain. Mm-hmm. Right, right, Absolutely. right. And I, I think that um, in particular, uh, counterpoint is is one of the most useful devices yeah. mm-hmm. for getting people on board with a challenging premise. Lenin, uh, Le- Lenin didn't have children pressing albums. 
Yeah. Uh, that's another great counterpoint to mm-hmm. prove or kind of prove his point that this guy was no nerd Jesus. And yeah, just yeah. specificity of pressing albums, like the visual of that. And like uh-huh. talking about the scientists, I have a kid with a birthday in 11 months. It's so specific. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I love the specificity. Uh, yeah, the timelines are really funny. He uses repetition to get into that challenging premise, right? Yeah. Uh, he says, he changed the world. He changed the world. And then, uh, classic joke formula, he says the same thing, but he says it a different way. And he gets yeah. a laugh because of it, which is the world was one way and now it's another. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that even though he's just still introducing the premise at that point, mm-hmm. it's still in joke format. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I like his, uh, his little, the, the, the thing that I think he does better than anything in describing like Steve Jobs uh, full of shittedness is that he always goes back to the people that are supporting Steve Jobs' dream. Mm-hmm. Like he always is like, like when he talks about the conference, he's like, there's no chorus of scientists. Right. There's not this it's like just group. Him. And that's who should be there too. Right. It's just him and he's not even wearing a belt and he's wearing sneakers. Well, like it's no biggie. He just, heightens the contrast to such a degree that yeah. it becomes it becomes pure irony. Yeah. Which is that he he keeps building Steve Jobs as a guy who doesn't actually create or do anything. Yeah. And he keeps saying and 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 is and is and is a and is a jerk to everybody beneath him. And here are all these nameless, faceless people yeah. who actually make everything happen. And he gives no them a credit. voice. Even yeah. Right. Like, right. My kid's got a birthday. Like all true, this it, stuff. True, it's again, it's truth to power. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His second premise here. Uh, which is um, you d- you think you don't pollute you pollute oh right yeah, yeah. just this aside of by the way this is fucked up too yeah. uh-huh, uh-huh. again another... and the segue is great too do you know the amount of sea life that is ecstatic that he's gone yeah, yeah. Like that? <laughs> that's so funny yeah I'm serious yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> god damn really fucking funny <laughs> the roller yeah the rollerblading <laughs> joke is so good it's such a good point I've never thought about that yes that joke destroyed rollerblading it totally did it absolutely did it was so popular for so long there's also something about uh when you're doing kind of a challenging bit like this you need some like gerard has this like extreme charisma and Mm. burr's voice is just so funny that he starts it saying something mean but it's such a whimsical fun voice that you're on board like both of them have these like other elements and I think then like the Chris Rock bit, yeah. it's just there's something about the musicality of their voices. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're going to go with this more than you would someone who just talks like this. Yeah. I've long wanted to do just for for kicks. I wanted to do Dave Chappelle bits, but without the voice. Oh, yeah. Because they just they require his silly voice like they require that ridiculous voice because he doesn't actually talk like that you hear him in interviews he doesn't talk like that no but but if you when, but his voice allows him to say and also his incredible timing and writing but like he'll he'll just be like if i just said and i saw a baby selling crack on the on the sidewalk <laughs> yeah I rolled up my window in the limo i mean that's a like, rock. Yeah, yeah. you see chris rock Click. working on material Click. and he's not doing it in the voice in the persona he's just uh-huh. he wants to test, to test rock hard rock hard jokes mm. rock solid jokes rock hard Ooh, jokes. chris rocks rock chris rock solid chris <laughs> <Yeah>. rock solid <laughs> um he wants solid jokes and then once he puts the voice and the persona on it it's gonna murder but mm. it's like if you've got bedrock there mm. and everything else is gravy yeah. i I've heard Burr speak on like behalf of, or he, he, I've heard him on like a podcast, I feel like, or maybe it was an interview on TV. And he was talking about how um, he gets away with what he does. And it's like, if you don't agree with what my joke is about, 
if you took psych 101 you'd understand this is just an angry guy that needs a hug uh, like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. like he he removes himself from the character he's doing on mm, stage mm-hmm. he's like that guy is angry with fucking everything to an unhealthy level he says the same thing he says the same thing about his wife he goes that's not my wife well it's not his wife now anyway anyway but like it, he says he's not married anymore no he got divorced but the Her? no 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 i'm talking about chris rock sorry. oh okay Oh, we. Oh, I was talking oh. about Bill Burr. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. You were about to both like upset Harrison and I's foundation of love. <laughs> I know. I was like, I really love their relationship. Yeah. <laughs> she jumps on the, my mor- the Monday uh, morning podcast. Oh. <laughs> well, Chris Rock does the same yeah. thing about his wife, um, or now his ex-wife. Is he says that's not my wife I'm talking about. I have a comedy wife. Right. Yep. And I find out from talking to other friends hey i've noticed this thing in my relationship do you see it do you see it do you see it? He says, if enough people see it then i go my comedy wife has this issue yep i have this issue with my comedy wife right mm. and, and and so he's removing himself or he's removing her from it and so it's it's an interesting thing yeah uh yeah, I should end um, all of my points with, yeah, that's an interesting thing. <laughs> <laughs> the amount on my podcast that I go, oh, that's interesting, is insufferable. Like, it's <laughs> awful. It's the worst thing to say to someone. But I say it when I legitimately find something that's yeah. interesting. It's the worst thing to do. <laughs> Especially re- when you say it about the thing you just said. <laughs> <laughs> right. Come on. Let's talk about sex. The next bit I want to play... I want to talk about a little bit beforehand because uh, we are three white men. Uh, three white boys? Yeah. And I want three to Three Jews, do... too? Yeah. Three Jews, yeah. Oh, three. yeah. Three Jews. Three Jews. Um, what are the chances in New York? Mazel. This bit is from Never Scared. It's 2005. But I think he did it before then, too. I want to talk about this bit because when I heard it, I was still in Montana and affirmative action was a big deal. And Montana's not diverse. I, the only thing, the only, I, there was a giant bubble around Montana. There's a huge membrane through which anything needed to get through in order for it to reach me. I had the mm. religious membrane. I had uh, um, lack of internet for uh, my formative years. I also had um, a lack of exposure to other cultures. I mean, there's all these things that for something like this to get through, it had to be really, uh, really good. And it also was incredibly challenging to everything that the people around me thought. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about affirmative action, the thing that a lot of people, you go on Fox News, you can hear it any, any day you want, uh, that if, well, hey, it should all be on merit. Um, if I get the same scores as uh, as somebody else of a different race, why, why should they be picked instead of me just because of their race? Mm-hmm. And this bit changed my entire view on affirmative action. It taught me things and it challenged me. It's compl- so it's, so this is a challenging premise. It is, and I love it dearly. Uh, it is challenging in two ways. Both, it's talking about the taboo subject of America's bloody past. And it also tackles, it's a complex premise because affirmative action and all the things around it requires some history for him to convey. And it's a complex social idea mm-hmm. for him to even delve into. And I think he does an incredible job of it. And that, yeah. that's why I love it so much is that it influenced my worldview. And mm-hmm. sometimes, and a lot of people like to say, nobody's my i've heard people say this nobody's mind is ever changed by stand-up you don't walk in thinking one thing and walk out thinking another well 
I, I happened to me. Yeah, I feel like times. it happens all the time to me. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. I think those people are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just dumb people. <laughs> and their jokes are not memorable. <laughs> all right. Anyway. And they should all die, and I hate them. <laughs> now, I love America, man. I must say, I love America. I got to say, America is the greatest country in the world. Okay? It's the greatest country in the world. In the whole world, it's, it's the best place. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be from. America's the greatest country in the world. And we are all lucky to be here. Everybody in this room, lucky to be here. Even black people, lucky to be here. But if you're black, you got to look at America a little different. If you're black, America's like the uncle that paid your way through college but molested you. <laughs> Oh, you got to forgive, right? You got to forgive. What's the biggest issue in America right now? The most divisive issue in America right now is affirmative action. Now, a lot of people think affirmative action got a lot to do with the 60s and the back of the bus and separate lunch counters. No, 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 no. When you see footage of the 60s and see black people see us getting sprayed down and hosed down and dogs getting sicked on us and little girls getting burnt up in churches, that's just white people being nice. Nicer than they was in the 50s, 40s, and 30s. <laughs> Shit, this black people that died in the 30s that was looking down from heaven in the 60s going, man, them niggas got it good. <laughs> no, no, no. Affirmative action was put into place to offset policies that the United States government implemented during slavery that affect us today. Now, when I talk about slavery, no, no, no. When I talk about slavery, I'm just talking about a period of time where black people had no rights. So you're talking about the 1600s to about 1964. <laughs> you know, give or take a year, depending on when your town decided to act right. Now, people go, well, what happened during slavery that could affect us today? What happened during slavery that could affect us today? A lot of shit happened during slavery that affects us every day. For instance, during slavery, they used to take the biggest, strongest slaves and breed them and try their best to make big, strong super slaves, okay? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And there's evidence of that today, like the NFL, for instance. <laughs> so NFL stands for nigga fucking large. They bred the slaves, and this is why black people dominate every physical activity in the United States of America, okay? We're only 10% of the population, we're 90% of the final four, okay? We fucking dominate all this shit, okay? Basketball, baseball, football, boxing, track, even golf and tennis. As soon as they make a heated hockey rink, we're gonna take that shit to them. Motherfuck Wayne Gretzky. Wait till you see LeBron on some skates. You ain't seen shit yet. He just gonna have one skate chilling. What's up? He ain't even gonna have a stick. He gonna smack the puck with his dick. <laughs> Slap shot, bitch. Ha <laughs> ha
So that's what they did to the big, strong slaves. And you know what they did to the smart ones? Or at least the ones they thought were smart? They killed them. That's what they did. That's right. That was the policy of the United States government to kill smart black people. That's right. So the real smart motherfuckers had to hide the fact that they were smart, okay? The law of the land was if you read, you die. If you read, you fucking die, okay? So you know what that means? The first black drug dealers didn't even sell drugs. They sold books. <laughs> yo, man, I got two pages, man. I got two pages. Check it out, man. Check it out, man. I got two pages, man. Yo, man, yo, man. I got a word. I got a word. Check it out, man. I got a new word, man. I got a new word, man. It's new, man. It's new, man. So think about the poor slaves that could read but had to hide it, man. Think about the poor slaves that could read but were scared to teach their kids to read but fear they'd be killing their kids, man. Think about the poor slave that used to drive the buggy in the town every day, man. Just to drive the buggy, man. And he's driving the buggy, driving the buggy, driving the buggy. He's driving the buggy, driving the buggy, driving the buggy. And he can read, he's driving the buggy, driving the buggy, driving the buggy, driving the buggy. And up ahead he sees a real busy intersection. He's driving the buggy, 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 driving the buggy. And then he sees a stop sign. <laughs> it's now so he's got a real dilemma. <laughs> oh, Lord. What is I gonna do? Oh, Lord. What is I gonna do? Okay. If I go across this intersection, I'm gonna have an accident. <laughs> If I stop at this side, these crackers will kill me. <laughs> oh, Lord, what is I gonna do? And he don't know. And he's riding the buggy. And he's riding the buggy. And at the last minute, he says, fuck it. And he goes straight through the intersection. Has a big old accident. Wipes out. <laughs> Wipes out. Almost kills somebody. And the police come. The nigga, what's wrong with you? Nigga, what the fuck is wrong with you? You could have killed somebody, nigga. You see that stop sign? Oh, I don't know what you talking about, sir. <laughs> Nigga, you see that stop sign? That stop sign right there? Oh, do you mean that octagon thing? <laughs> <laughs> Nigga, who taught you octagon? <laughs> now, don't get me wrong with affirmative action. Don't get me wrong, man. I don't think I should get a job over a white person if I get a lower mark in a test. I don't think I should get accepted into a school over a white person if I get a lower mark in a test. But if there's a tie, fuck them. <laughs> Shit, you had a 400-year head start, motherfucker. <laughs> That's the bit. I just remember, just I just remember thinking when I was younger, like. Well, why? Why should that? That just seems unfair. It's reverse discrimination. It's reverse. This is what you thought back then. Yeah. yeah, back then. It's reverse discrimination. I remember the first time. I remember the first time I ever heard someone say that word around my ex-wife, who was black, and she just, in her very gentle way, turned to that person. And she just goes, "Oh, I didn't know discrimination's only supposed to go one way." Oh shit! Yeah. Like, like she hated that phrase. Yeah. Um, and and, but I remember thinking that. I remember hearing it all the time in in that conservative bubble. I mean, by this time, not two thousand five, I, I was fully out of that. But I don't. I know that I, I didn't have any clear ideas of of, of what 
or why affirmative action really was important yeah. um, or what it really meant. And you just knew it felt like it was right. Well, no, I knew it. I knew what I knew is just, I was just like, I don't understand why we can't just have it on merit. It was that. Mm. Why can't we just have it on merit? Let's just make it all fair. Mm. And it was like, oh, because of the entire context, I'm not taking into account. And what he does is he couches it perfect. Like he starts the bit by saying, I love America, greatest country in the world. 30 seconds of it. Right. Not a joke in there. It doesn't need to do, like, the reason he's doing that is because he needs to set it up as I am on. Like I like I love America. I am but, patriotic. Yes, he literally. It's thirty seconds of jingoistic, nationalistic. I love America. I love America. I love. I mean, that's a long time on stage to go to set that up because right. he knows what he's about to do. Right, and then he, what he does is he's making rich points, and then he makes a point, and then he has punchlines. He makes a point, he has punchlines. Mm-hmm. So he makes the point about uh, about. The breeding slaves, and then he does all the sports bits. Mm-hmm. Then he makes this point about uh, them killing smart slaves, and then he has all the the smart jokes. So it's like it's like point, and then all the examples, point examples. So it's mm-hmm. just it it flows. He's making a compelling argument and littering really funny punchlines. In. Yeah, yeah. And and I think uh, to get a little bit further in the weeds, one of the things that I think is really important with a challenging premise is simplification. Yeah, you yeah. have to simplify it. One of the great ways to do that is to relate it to relationships. And his line, his, and he's so it's it's related to relationships. And if you can use an analogy, and he does both all at once mm-hmm. in this brilliant line of, um, "It's your uncle who paid your way through college but molested you." Yeah, it's <laughs> so good. I mean, that is like it's it it's, it brings it down from this giant systemic historical huge complex thing yeah. down to this very simple emotional personal, personal relationship, relationship yeah. analogy right i mean it wow like so that to me is a is a true sign of genius when you can take mm-hmm. something that complex and simplify it to that degree yeah and there's i, I went to michelle wolf's taping hbo special taping this weekend mm-hmm. and i think she does she does some really good stuff of saying like a, a, a woman's perspective of, Oh, if you're a straight white dude, you probably haven't thought of this. And let me say some really funny stuff to back it up. Yeah, yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of experience expanding. And I think that's mm. what this bit does so well as well. It's like, For you sure. can take someone who is not in that experience and give them empathy because they're following your funny jokes. So right. Right. what you've done yeah. after an hour of them listening to you, the reason they went with you is because it was funny, but yeah. now they have an experience that's not their own that they're empathizing For with. For sure. Yeah. I also like the, the, I feel like the buggy example at the end is incredible because mm-hmm. it's just like this real dilemma that yeah, it's someone have to find, like you literally can't even admit, you know, the word octagon, <laughs> like you have to, that's so fucking crazy. It, it's, it's, it's so funny because it's, it's true. Mm-hmm. It's absurd, yeah. it's, but it's real. Yeah. Um, and I, I love, I, I, I love this bit so much. I kind of want to go through it point by point. He starts off and he just says, what is the most polarizing thing or difficult in its affirmative action? So he just sets it up. Just like, boom, we're going to talk about affirmative action. Yeah. Here it is. And people go, <laughs> okay. Uh, and then he goes really dark, really fast uh, with, in the 60s, getting him hosed down, with uh, do- you know, dogs getting sick on a burnt, girls in churches, all that stuff. I mean, it's just, it's so real. Mm-hmm. It's so dark. It's so much, hey, I'm going to rub your nose in the reality of our society. Yeah. And then he goes, and then he, and he, fl- you think he's, 
and he just goes, that's just white people being nice. Yeah. And then you're just like, as a white person, I'm like, oh, that hurts. And then he, and then he goes, nicer than they were in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Like, oh, my God, he's so right. Yeah. He's so right. It's so true. That per- perspective is really important. And, and like the people looking down at heaven and being like, mm-hmm. oh, you guys they have guys it so good. good. Right. Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, he's setting it up as the starting point is things are really fucked up. He's starting yeah. it. He's like, you need the context of this before we talk about this. Uh-huh. Exactly. And uh-huh. he does it so well. He, he does like a couple examples that make you like, oh, okay. Yeah. We're not starting from a place of equality. Got it. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I actually think that this bit too is really important right now in this giant conversation that is so poorly done about white privilege. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's batted around so constantly mm-hmm. in the news and people constantly denying that it even exists, tr- poorly defining it. Yeah. I mean, he really kind of nails what it is here by showing the counter example. Yeah, he really does. And even where he ends it with, I'm not saying that, uh, I should get something if I have a lower test score, but if it's a tie, fuck it. Yeah. That's still, that's like, that's being charitable. Like, that's a, that's not a strong stance. To end the bit there, that's like, okay, that's moderate. Like, he Uh could have easily gone further. Right, right. He absolutely could. Like, he just, he contextually knew where people were going to be. And it's like, all right, to get them this Mm -hmm. far, I have to go Mm -hmm. this far. It's fascinating. Right. Another thing he's doing is he is giving a history lesson. Sure. A lot of people don't know these things. Because like like the history books that we have, I w- I'm a history major. Uh, I so I love history. I still read history books here and there. And the things that we get taught in school is uh, super cherry picked. And that was where I grew up. I can't imagine what it's like in even more conservative areas yeah, sure. where they want to tell a different narrative. Oh, mm-hmm. I, mean, I grew up in Virginia. Which is very timely to now, but like we learned about, I wrote a report about Robert E. Lee in second or third grade. Yeah, like that was just uh, he was in the textbooks as like these were the two sides. A lot of good stuff on both sides. (laughs) Like I'm not kidding. Yeah, like like Virginia growing up that time, Robert E. Lee. Yeah, there. I mean, all this talk about statues. There were statues all around. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was Lee High School right where I went. Like there was he was a hero in the area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's yeah yeah there's. This is tangential, but very, very funny. And about Robert E. Lee and the Confederacy and the white. Okay, so Dan Wicks has this really funny joke. Dan Wicks is a comedian (laughs) in New York. Dan Wicks is a funny comedian. We should get him on. He's a great one-liner guy. But he has this really hilarious joke (laughs) where he's like, he's like, did you guys know uh, who invented the participation trophy? The post-Civil War South. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so let them fly their loser flag <laughs> it's so funny i think it's so on the nose um yeah i just it is weird when you grow up in the south and just see like this i mean i we saw confederate flags all the yeah, time sure. You're North Carolina, all the time right? and, tr- and on trucks and shit and let's go back to the bit right. uh, yeah <laughs> so uh, we digress yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I like when he says, um, he goes, this is, he says this a few times to offset policies the United States government implemented from slavery. Uh, he further defines it as uh, the time when they had no rights from the, ni- from the 1600s to 1964, or depending on when your town decided to act right. <laughs> There's so much in that, and he has to repeat it. And he repeats what happens during slavery that affects us today. He says that three times in a yeah, row. Yeah, right. Is it, and and it, there are multiple times where he says it over and over again because every time you have this challenging premise, it's like you have to 
I wonder if it's this. It's that you need to have heard them a few times or the, the, the audience needs to have heard it a couple of times so they stop thinking about it. Yeah, sure. I think it's such a rich idea and we're so self-absorbed. So to get people thinking out of a context bigger than themselves, you need a couple different angles to come at it. And I mm-hmm. think he does that really well. Mm-hmm. First, he, he says, okay, here we have the strength part of it, the breeding part. I mean, like, my God, like, this is like, it's so, it's complex and taboo at the same time. And and this is one of my things I love about comedy the most is that it's just like this is the one time you actually get to talk about it that people will open their minds and listen. Yeah, because there's it, there's also something nice about it that it's one way that he gets to have he gets to talk and no one everyone has to listen. Like yeah. there's something and it's merit based. He worked really hard and got really good at it so he could be in this position. Yeah, and you don't I, have to have a stupid dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> I love his performance style because it's so much because it's taken from his pastor grandfather and it's just so commanding. It's mm-hmm. like so it's not like Gerard where it's like subtly commanding. It's like oh I really want to hear this guy talk. It's like oh he is uh, he is talking mm-hmm. uh-huh. and it, it, but it doesn't feel like you're being talked at. It feels like you're yeah. being filled with wisdom. Uh-huh. It's great. I love his performance style. I love it. I yeah. love it. And it, he does it again a little while later. He get, one of the things he keeps saying that I think is a, an incredible mnemonic or not mnemonic uh, rhetorical device. The rhetorical device is that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. He does. He does that over and over in this bit uh, to get people like almost like if you can like nodding along with what he's saying. Yeah. To bring them along, and then uh, use of analogy. If you can, if you can come up with a great analogy to show the complex thing you're trying to convey mm-hmm. the first dealer, first drug dealers himself. Oh, right? got a word, yeah. got a word, got a book, uh-huh. yeah. got two books. Yeah. Fucking so good. I got two pages. I got two pages. Yo, 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 two pages, two pages. Yeah, I got a yeah. word, I got a word, new word. I got a new word. Uh, so good. Oof. One idea that I just, I thought of a second ago was I think complex premises are more important than they've ever been to because the way people watching stand up is so different mm-hmm. that because so many people are watching it on Netflix and there's so much more stand up available in streaming services uh-huh. people don't just what sticks with people is complex ideas that they keep it, mulling exactly. over in their mind. If you watch a fun, silly thing for an hour, it's you gone. go, I had fun for an hour, but I don't remember anything. It's ephemeral. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Complex bits and like controversial ones stick with you. So you see uh-huh. this and you go, oh, I like this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the stuff that people are going to, if you're on a show with eight people and mm-hmm. you pull off a bit like this, that's what they're going to remember. Well, that's yeah, why. Yeah, it is more memorable. It, it, it is it is like that's because like something shifts in your mind. Yeah. It's not just laughter response, super fun, dopamine. Yay. It's... I like a combination of both, too. Well, yeah. My oh, favorite. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Come on. Let's talk about sex. And a huge thanks to our guest, John Newman. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. This was a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, check out his podcast, Comedians in Coffee Getting Cars. The link is in the show notes. Uh, you can also go to comediansincoffeegettingcars.com or on iTunes and all the other platforms. Check him out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. He is at It's John Newman. He is an H-less John, so it's just J-O-N. It's John Newman. You can enjoy his fantastic joke writing there, and I highly recommend that you do follow him. For shows and booking, head over to itsjohnnewman.com. Special thanks to Gerard Carmichael, Chris Rock, and Bill Burr, and as always, a cuddle puddle of love and thanks to Salt and Pepper for leaving the law out of our fair use. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets.